Hi everyone, this is Anshuman Bapna at Terradot2 podcast on climate change in India. And with me today is Ankit Singhvi, who is an amazing entrepreneur working in the electric vehicle space, but has a ton of experience across energy and many other sectors, which are very relevant to what's really happening with climate in India. Glad to have Ankit on the podcast also because he and I go way back to college and this is my chance to finally grill him and ask tough questions. So welcome to the podcast, Ankit. Thanks, Anshuman. Great to be here. So Ankit, uh, let's just start from the top. Would you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey and where you are right now? Sure. So, you know, as uh, Anshuman was saying, we go long way back to college days. So I graduated from uh, IIT Bombay. And uh, after that, I was working in the consumer side in India with ITC. And then uh, about 15 years back from where we are today, basically I took a plunge and said that on a, where do I want to build my career? And I chose uh, energy. You know, there were three themes, energy, education, and healthcare. And as a chemical engineer, I thought energy would be quite exciting. And uh, since 2005, I've been working in clean tech space. I started with energy, quickly narrowed it down the utilities or the electricity space. And then uh, I've been working since then in renewable energy and clean tech. So graduated from Harvard, worked with uh, McKinsey for a couple of years in US. And then I moved back in 2009 with a startup which was funded by Coastal Ventures and General Catalyst on Solar Thermal. And for the last four years, we've been working uh, as a founder for Moselle. Uh, we've been focusing on uh, commercial electric vehicles. And we are the first company in India to commercially run electric buses uh, almost three years back. So Ankit, before uh, I jump into Mosev, which I think is doing some really interesting things, what made you consider clean tech back in the day when that was not really something that was uh, a big deal in India at that time? If I look at it, so on a very macro level, energy is the largest uh, industry in the world, uh, whether we look at oil and gas or power sector. And at a very macro level, I would say, I said that, where do I want to build my career in? And uh, energy appealed to me the most uh, because as a chemical engineer, you know, we have visited a lot of oil and gas plants, petrochemical plants. Compared to uh, other sectors, if India has to become a developed country, I remember when Abdul Kalam came to, to IIT Bombay for a speech and his whole vision of uh, India being a developed country by 2020. I think one of the things would be that uh, energy is going to play a critical role. I didn't start with clean energy. It was more on energy side. And once I started researching and looking deep into it, I uh, worked with uh, Amory Lovins of Rocky Mountain Institute and uh, quickly realized that given this massive industry, I have to narrow down my focus. And uh, clean energy was something which was quite appealing because right from the generation perspective to more of demand side where the whole story around consumption and how do we need to make it more sustainable. So I think through a bit of iterations, I just keep narrowing diamond focus and then finally zero down on uh, renewable energy or on the electricity side of the equation. Got it. Awesome. So let's uh, jump into Mosev. First of all, what does Mosev mean? So Mosev is, it should sound pretty sophisticated, but as Mosev, what we are is uh, essentially it's a, our core value proposition is we make EV profitable for our customers. And the way we go about it is we look at the 
total lifetime spend on electric vehicles. So electric vehicles value proposition is they're highly energy efficient and their operating cost is significantly lower than a high C engine. So what Mozev does is we take a full stack approach right from vehicle to financing to charging infra to operation maintenance and uh, end of life. And we try to solve for profitability through extracting efficiencies across this value chain over the life of the vehicle by leveraging a lot of technology in terms of sharing of infrastructure or predictive maintenance or driving higher utilization. You know, when we're looking at a name, I think one is the mobility piece. So mobility and then EV on electric vehicles. And Z was just the Z factor. And it was a domain name which was available, a five-letter domain name. So when we did a like a blind survey, a lot of people said Mozev is, it communicates a bit more sophistication and technology orientation, which is what we are focused on. No, I think that makes sense. I even name my children depending on whether the Gmail address and the Twitter handle is available, so I can totally relate. <laughs> I would love to know more about Mozev and how is the business doing? I know that you have had first in India and sometimes even first in the world that you've attempted. So tell us a little bit more about that. In 2015, my focus has been on uh, renewable energy. And one of the things which we started seeing was that with increasing adoption of solar and wind energy, it was starting to impact the grid at different levels, both at the transmission level and at the distribution level of the grid. So we started looking at batteries pretty closely. And because I'm based out of Gurgaon and I do long distance running, you always question the air quality, which is there. And children are getting sick. And so you always question why we are not moving to a more cleaner transportation choices. And again, at a macro level, we import 85-90% of our crude oil. So from an energy security standpoint, it's a no-brainer. So we started with a question that why there are no electric vehicles in India? makes a lot of sense. Poor air quality, smaller vehicles, congestion is a big issue. So efficiency, electric vehicles can be highly efficient. And what we realized was there were two things. One, unlike the rest of the world where electric vehicle adoption is being driven by government subsidies, India is a very value-oriented economy. Right? So government doesn't have a lot of fiscal space. And as a consumer level, people look for value in whatever they want to spend on. So clearly our conclusion was that uh, fleets are going to be the early adopter because the value proposition for electric vehicle is the more you run them, lower is your cost of ownership. And the second challenge which we saw was that uh, charging infrastructure is a bottleneck. And uh, if we have to solve for these two, the natural choice which came about was uh, buses. As Mozart, we are focused on commercial electric vehicles. And within that, right now, we are looking at buses. And buses are a very unique form factor. It's the only application, right from two-wheelers to trucks to cars, where it provides point-to-point connectivity. So unlike other form factors where you need to build a network of charging infrastructure, here you can start with uh, electrifying routes. You know, so I can take Jaipur Delhi as a route and I can electrify it and I can deploy it. Now, this is not possible for other form factors because they have very applications and they go on multiple routes. The second is 100% of the market is is fleets. So if you can focus on utilization, there's a pretty strong case for making it profitable, which is what we are focused on, how to make EV profitable for our customers. 
So with these two in mind, we said, okay, how do we make this happen? At that point of time, there were no buses in India, no electric buses in India. And just to take a step back in terms of the size of the opportunity, it's massive. You know, on a yearly basis, we are looking at almost $15 billion of lifetime spend on vehicles, electric bus, on buses which are getting sold. And India is the second largest market. Not many people know that today buses contribute to 65% of the total people kilometers traveled in India. To give you a perspective, Uber and Ola contributes probably about 1.5%. Indian Railways contribution is about 14%. And uh, airlines are contributing about uh, 10 to 11%. So in the surface transport, buses by far make the most significant impact in terms of livelihood of the people. So we said uh, opportunity is massive. We can make a profitable business case because the fleets and the charging infra questions can be solved for. So now the the next step was put something on the ground. And that's where uh, our journey started. When we got into electric buses, the government policy didn't have anything around electric buses. There were no electric buses in India. So the first bus that we ran on Manali Rotang uh, route is a left-hand drive bus. It's the highest altitude in the world where the first deployment also happened in the country for about 25 buses. And since then, the demand has been quite strong. And uh, I think we are quite bullish on this space. And these are intercity buses that you're talking about, I'm assuming, right? So intercity buses, we have just started like last year. So intercity, as you rightly said, intercity is the most profitable segment because that's where the utilization is maximum. So right now, our focus is to grow the intercity segment. And we are the first one in the country to commercially launch uh, intercity electric buses. So our first set of buses are running on Pune-Mumbai route. Next month, we'll be starting with Bangalore-Tirupati and then after that, Hyderabad-Vijaywada. So pretty much by end of this year, all the major cities will be connected by electric buses. That's great. Before I switch to policy, which I think is a very interesting part of our discussion, one question. So you talked about people kilometers. What about freight kilometers? Do you think there's an opportunity for electrification of freight vehicles plying intercity routes? Yeah, so freight is almost 10x the opportunity compared to people kilometers. And broadly, my sense is with this whole focus on sustainability and the debate around climate change, I think there's a broader trend of electrification of economies. So as more and more renewable energy is getting cheaper and uh, if we can solve for storage, then there's a very strong case of that we should electrify our economies. Anyway, you'll have more and more adoption of renewable energy. In transportation, which is the second biggest segment of the consumer of energy, you will have electrification. And then you will get into all the consumption side, right, on the fuel, cooking, and other energy uses. So, uh, so freight is definitely an opportunity. Again, you can't electrify the complete market because there is a freight is designed to carry weight. And right now, we are not there yet in terms of comparing the haulage capacity on a like-to-like basis with a, with a diesel uh, truck. But what I do see is you can focus on applications, some long-haul applications where you can solve for weight. And there is definitely a case for electrification. Got it. And maybe we'll come back to this later in terms of entrepreneurial opportunities in this space right now. But if I could shift gears a little bit and talk about 
your perspective on what really has happened in the EV space in the past couple of years. And I know there's been a bunch of action. So if you could give almost like a primer on what you're seeing on the policy side and on the market side, and maybe even contrast it with what's happening in other markets like China and US, where there's also a lot of action. So basically, educate us. Globally, I think there's a very strong trend towards electrification of transport. And I will limit myself to the surface of the road transport. So I'll not focus on railways or, or airlines. And within the service transport, I think globally, the governments have been driving the adoption through, I would say, generous subsidies. U.S. is example. China is a global leader right now on electric vehicles in terms of scale of adoption. And uh, that has been completely being driven by, by subsidy on the demand side and also on the operation side. Some European countries are also focused on, like Norway, where they're focused on, again, uh, using subsidies as a criteria for adoption. India has taken a very different approach. So when we start looking at 2015, India came out with this national mission for electric mobility, where their goal was to put about 7 million electric vehicles by 2020. And this was adopted in 2012, 2012 or 2013. And uh, the focus was two-wheelers, three-wheelers, cars, and uh, that's about it. There were no focus on buses or trucks. And then the government came out with a program under Ministry of Heavy Industries called uh, FAME, which is the Faster Adoption in Manufacturing of Electric Vehicles. So this was launched in 2014 and with a mandate to accelerate this whole NMEM, the national mission transition. So the learnings there were that in India, because either the subsidies were not generous enough that you could shift or change the demand pattern. And at a market level, the government is actually a very small player in vehicles, right? So it's primarily driven by private operators or private personal vehicles. So government is not actually a big buyer of vehicles. So they didn't see a lot of traction. And based on my early days of learning in uh, solar, because when I moved to India, there was no solar mission. What we realized was that if this market has to really take off, then the orientation has to move from just a product which is making an electric vehicle to really look at the overall value proposition over the lifetime spent. So we even formed a, an electric mobility alliance, which is a non-profit pan-India registered society. And uh, we got all the stakeholders, right from manufacturers to the customers to utilities to some um, even government corporations, the transport corporation. So you are based out of Bangalore. So BMTC is one of the members for that alliance. And the focus was that uh, we need to reorient the policy from just giving a vehicle level subsidy to really look at the lifetime spend and see how we can make it more sustainable. So there's been a lot of, I would say, activity and uh, progress in the last two years. At a federal level, so transportation is a concurrent subject. And hence, it's uh, both states and uh, state governments and central governments have a key role to play. So at a, at a central government level, there has been a clear uh, focus that we have to push electrification hard. And what they have done is, from my perspective, I think most of the major policy goals have already been, or policy directions or initiatives have already been announced or notified. Implementation is a whole different ballgame, but at least at a policy level, 
a couple of things which have happened. One, there's a clear orientation uh, towards fleets. So across all segments, government wants to encourage fleet adoption. So whether you take taxis or autos or uh, delivery or uh, buses, there's a pretty strong focus now on public transport. And what government has done is uh, they have looked at both fiscal benefits and non-fiscal benefits. And I think non-fiscal benefits are quite substantial, whether it's in terms of relaxation around permits or exemption from road taxes. And then what has happened is at the state government level also, a lot of states, I would say the major states, whether we look at Karnataka, Maharashtra, Andhra Pradesh, Delhi, most of the states have announced their own EV policy, which is on the lines of central government. No fiscal benefits, but a lot of non-fiscal benefits, again, around permits and road taxes. And the second thing which the government has done is around electric vehicle tariffs, which most of the regulators on the power sector side have announced special EV tariffs. And I think that uh, these are all good, uh, really strong indicators to drive adoption. And the market also, I think there is now a clear focus on fleets. While we keep hearing about on and off around uh, personal vehicles, but uh, most of the traction is around fleets. And is that something that uh, you think is also the right direction for the market to take? I mean, you rightly point out that there's a lot of uh, press and attention towards personal vehicles, but fleets are where large businesses can be built out. Is that correct? At a very basic level, you have to really respond to what customer is asking for. And I think once you put that as an orientation that, okay, what customers are looking for, then two things start happening, right? The first is you need to deliver a complete solution. So that's why what customers have been clearly asking that we don't want just the product, we want the full solution, which is when will I charge? Where is the after sales? So the natural question is if customers are asking for a full solution, then um, all these service providers, that's why you're seeing more service providers around how we can solve for that. The second is, you know, in India, as I said, the business case for electric vehicle is only when you have utilization. And if there is no utilization because government subsidies, capital subsidies are not generous, unlike rest of the world, there is really no business case for uh, buying an electric vehicle for personal use. So let's take cars for an example. A car is more than just a vehicle for a family. So even if I have a Maruti Alto or if you have Mercedes, the fact is people still want to take them on a highway. People still want to drive them at a high speed. They want to go anywhere where they want. And uh, that kind of performance or flexibility today electric vehicles don't offer at the basic level. So to give you a sense, on the car side, 90% of the cars which are sold in India are uh, sub uh, 7 lakhs. So at that price point, giving uh, unlimited range and performance, I think is still way off for uh, electric vehicles. So the decision-making for personal consumption is very different. It's not really driven by total cost of ownership while fleet equation is completely driven by total cost of ownership. So what we are seeing is in terms of the market opportunity, again, uh, you know, India is a pretty large market, but at a at segment level, fleets are uh, significant. But if I look at it, the largest opportunity which we saw and which we see right now is on the commercial vehicle side. Buses are by far the largest opportunity right now. And then it will be trucks. Uh, Three-wheelers are happening, but again, it's a very fragmented market. And what is more important is you have to really look at how do you size the market. So it's not really the sale value 
of the vehicle, but you have to really look at the lifetime span. And as soon as you look at that, then commercial vehicles are almost 60% of the opportunity. Got it. And I think uh, that framework that you just gave of going where the customer is and they're looking for a full solution and also utilization, I think is something that you can apply to everything that everything from what Ola Electric to Sun Mobility to efforts outside of just personal vehicles are are happening. So that's useful. I mean, it seems like what you're saying is that on the policy front, there has been a lot of good action, which is somewhat unusual. And it's heartening to hear that that's, that has happened. So if I was a smart entrepreneur who's looking for opportunities, are there specific aspects of the market that you would ask me to look at closely? That's a great question. So yeah, I think uh, this is my experience and you have also lived in US and you know, in India, there is no dearth of opportunities. Pick any space and there is a ton of opportunities. The question really comes is, one is what is your time horizon? How do you want to play it? And the second is how do you scale it up? So that's the challenge which I see, which is what is the scalable business model? One can truly imagine that if there is a view that electrification of transport is inevitable and it's going to happen sooner than later, then from an entrepreneurial perspective, the question to ask is, are you looking at it from a two-year opportunity or are you looking at it as a five-year opportunity or are you looking at a 10-year opportunity? And as the transition is happening, right, a lot of rules which have been written based on IC engine. You took example of logistics. You know That's a great example where today the whole transportation, the logistics sector is driven by how do I solve for return traffic, return loads, because trading mm-hmm. cost is substantial. Now, if your operating cost goes out of the equation, which is now 20% of your current operating cost, these rules of logistics sector would change. And this is going to happen across the world. So not just logistics, we are looking at wherever the fleets are running. So broadly, I would say, how do you want to classify opportunity, whether you're taking a two-year view, five-year view, 10-year view? Second is, if you're looking at EV as a space, uh, within EVs, so let's start uh, with... uh, right from vehicles to the overall life cycle, right? So vehicle, you have charging infra, you have vehicles, you have after-sales support, you have financing. And in all these areas, there are massive opportunities available. So today, the banking sector, there is a standard product, which 95% of the loans are sanctioned under the vehicle finance. And that is purely designed from a product cost perspective. But as we have established that electric vehicle is all about lifetime spend. So then the question comes, you need new kind of financial products. And that itself is an opportunity. Insurance, you know, with electric vehicles, what will be the impact on insurance? Uh, new opportunity. Because it's deregulated, permits have been taken out. That creates new opportunities in terms of utilization, use cases. Can you sweat your assets more? Because the more you operate, the better the profitability is. You know, there is no secondhand market for electric vehicles. There is no resale market for batteries. There is no recycling today for batteries in India. So any space in it, and I think it's a massive opportunity. Again, it comes down to how do you define your time. And do you see enough sources of capital looking at this space closely enough and investing? The question is, what kind of capital is available for electric vehicle? And again, it comes down to time horizon, right? So if I look at a classic VC play, people will take a very different lens. If you look at some patient capital, which takes a much longer view, then I think it's a different perspective. 
I think at this stage, people are still evaluating in terms of how to move forward because globally, the trend has been all driven by largely by manufacturers. You're talking about incumbent manufacturers or uh, new manufacturers, but again, supported heavily by subsidies. So you asked about China. You know, China, there is a clear trend line, which is the demand is clearly linked to the subsidy being provided. So if the subsidies go down, the demand goes down. So right now, there is a strong correlation on demand versus how the capital is being deployed. As I said, India has taken a very unique pathway, which is all driven by value. So the focus on fleets, I think, is very unique to India. And accordingly, I think capital allocation will start happening once people see a little bit more maturity in terms of uh, trend lines or certainty around trend lines. Got it. And so are you willing to hazard a guess about a prediction of the future for EVs in India? How big, different kind of companies and so on? Any thoughts on that? So I think it will be sooner than what people think. If I talk about buses, because that's what we are focused on, I think probably by 2025, 100% of the bus sales would be electric. 100%? Yeah, 100% of the bus sales. I'm only looking at bus. I'm not going to any other segment. Because there is a, the profitability is quite substantial. And as the technology matures, as you are able to drive more efficiently, you can share the infrastructure. And the customer experience, so consumer experience, when I talk about buses, is order of magnitude better, right? So while you know, now if you look at the new cars, they're great technology, quite silent. But take a ride in a in a BMTC bus so, or any state transport bus. And we are like 10 years behind. So consumer experience is significantly or substantially better in electric buses. So then the question really comes down to is, can you deliver a solution which is reliable and which is profitable? And as soon as you do that, then the placement cycle curve will... Uh, automatically drive demand for electric. So my sense is by 2025, we'll not have any, when I say 100%, it's like very high percentage would be all. Fantastic. More power to that. So last question from me, which is about climate change in India. So if you were to be given the $10 billion that Jeff Bezos just announced to invest in climate change in India, how would you think about that? Where would you invest? Because climate change is a quite contentious debate, right? There are some uh, strong believers and there are some strong non-believers. I think when it comes to India, it's really not a question around climate change. And the way I look at it is, it's more about how do you sustainably grow? So if your cities, you know, yesterday only I was reading that uh, 21 cities out of 30 most polluted cities are in India. So to me, the question is, that is not something which is acceptable. So if I have to solve to make it cleaner air, what do I need to do? So the choices which come about are if you start from who are the largest contributors and how do you go for clean air, then the choices will be very similar to someone who would be advocating a more decarbonized growth option. So put more renewable energy, you know, stop your coal firing plants, clean your transportation choices, right? So make your transportation green because that's a large contributor. Stop burning waste, uh, you know, start uh, recycling it or generate lower waste. So to me in India, the question is, there is no other way, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into the climate change debate, but I would just say that 
if india has to grow and if our society is healthy and uh, you know our children can breathe clean air or clean water or eat food which is probably sourced locally or is less polluted then the choices will be very similar to what globally people have been driving for climate change again on mitigation side and on adaptation side got it just focus on clean air and clean water and i think we'll be we'll be on the same lines around climate change very interesting now this is very helpful ankit thank you so much your perspective is uh, a very unique one and i think the one thing that i kept hearing again and again is that this is the time of opportunities in india right now in this space and the best entrepreneurs and the best investors will be well served to go dig one level deeper to understand both the white spaces that policy has opened up and also the inefficiencies that have always been in our economy for the longest time but might be ripe for removal right now so that's a great message to end on so thank you so much for your time thanks anshuman good to be here